Welcome to Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hua Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film on the Tracking Board and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And with me are... I am Anya Crittenton, associate editor at the Tracking Board. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So today, in honor of the feud Betty and Joan FX series uh, finale, uh, we're talking about classic Hollywood today. And uh, I don't really know uh, too much about classic Hollywood, so I'm throwing it over to my friend Anya for uh, a deeper explanation. Our resident classic Hollywood expert. Yes. So take it away, Anya. Thank you, Willoughby. Classic Hollywood is one of my favorite time periods in cinema history and some of my favorite movies of all time. Um, So just a brief kind of background and uh, history on classic Hollywood. It's about, it's from the time period about 19... 16, 1970, 1917 to the 1960s. Um, however, when most people talk about kind of the golden age of Hollywood, they're mostly talking about the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, that's when you had your kind of big studio stars and your big classics like Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, etc. Um, however, the silent era is sort of lumped into classic Hollywood. I don't think we're going to be touching on it too much. Do you guys have any? familiarity with silent era i do although i wouldn't really lump it in with classic hollywood either because i really associate classic hollywood with the studio system um and like the hayes code and that sort of like moral censorship as well as all the great creative um films are coming out of that time period but i feel like the silent era is a lot more experimental and it wasn't really um limited by censorship codes that we see in the classic Hollywood days. Yeah, it wasn't, but it was also subject to all the studio rules. Mm -hmm. Um, You see kind of like your big stars like Keaton and Chaplin, um, who were kind of like, Keaton especially, who was destroyed by the studio system, basically. Really? Um, So, yeah, yeah. Buster Keaton's history is very fascinating. Um, I'm a huge Buster Keaton fan. I think he's way better than Charlie Chaplin. Just gonna throw that gauntlet down. Um, I adore Buster Keaton. But yeah, he via, like, studio pressure and him trying to, like, be creative kind of against the studios and stuff mm. basically drove him to drinking and it the later years of his life were not good. Oh. Um, and a lot of it comes from, like, studio contracts and pressure. That's so and sad like that. he's such a genius. Yeah, he really was. He was incredible. Um, so, yeah, so we're mostly going to be focusing on kind of the, the golden age within the classic Hollywood mm-hmm. age. Um, so the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And just a couple things that are um, notable about this time period and the movies is that these movies were really known for their character work and their very straightforward narratives. Mm-hmm. Classic Hollywood films didn't try and be experimental. They didn't kind of try and like go against the system and what was working for them in their movies. So you had kind of straightforward narratives. You don't you didn't really mess with time. The only thing you really did with time was flashbacks occasionally mm-hmm. in some films. But it was mostly just kind of like you go to point A to point B to point C and you had really fun characters along the way. They were all very goal driven, very action oriented. They all kind of had like the place they needed to be by the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And that's what's kind of notable about these films of this time is they're very straightforward um 
aspect. I think they're also very driven by the stars of classic Hollywood. I think more so than what we see um, definitely in the silent era and also nowadays. Like we have blockbuster stars like Tom Cruise, like uh, Will Smith, but they don't really. They kind of pale in comparison to the stars of classic Hollywood. They really made and drove the films. I think Clooney completely might be the closest. Perhaps, but he also has kind of an old Hollywood flair to him too, which is interesting. Yeah, he's sort of like our current day Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I would when you say. see him, you don't see him lose himself into a character. Right. You're like, oh, there's George Clooney. Yeah, the characters would morph around the actors in classic Hollywood. It's definitely like those shine through more. Like their their sort of star persona shines through more than like anything else in the film. That for me, anyway. There really wasn't a lot of method acting. No. Yeah, when you go to see when you go to see a Humphrey Bogart film, for example, you're seeing a Humphrey Bogart film. You're seeing him. Although there was some method acting. I mean, you hear about what Jimmy Stewart did mm-hmm. in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington to get his voice, that horse, in his big monologue scene, and the fact that oh. he basically destroyed his own vocal cords to do that. Um, and kind of what people would do if they had to like cry in a scene and they couldn't cry naturally and like the things that they would put under their eyes and like it was not good for their body or their skin. Um, so, but that was also, that's, I think, less method acting and more just, like, them being less knowledgeable about things and what they do to your body. The harm yeah. they can do. I meant more psychologically and, like... You, you meant know, more like Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis? Day- yeah, yeah, what Daniel Day-Lewis is doing, what yeah. Marlon Brando ended up doing, like, all, and Gary Oldman, like, Christian a lot of these Bale. Guys, Christian Bale, yeah. like, all these guys, they really, like, envo- envelope them, involve themselves into their characters. Yeah, and I don't think, like, you know, method acting is better or worse than, like, you know, the classic Hollywood star acting. I like having that persona be front and center. I think, like, there are benefits and, like, um, there are pros and cons to both of them. Um, And, like, it's honestly, like, what you prefer, because sometimes people just want to see a movie for the actor, and, like, that's honestly, like, what draws people to movies, too, because... Even nowadays, you see a Tom Cruise movie, you're like, I want to see what a Tom Cruise movie entails, for example. Running and motorcycling. (laughs) Running and motorcycling. Um, Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so the stars really kind of, like, dominated these films. Um, And that's why the films kind of, like, as, in terms of their filmmaking style, um, they're very cohesive. And, like, they really follow the 180-degree rule pretty to the T. Can you tell um, us what the 180-degree um, rule is, Anya? It's basically just, like, a spatial rule in movies. I mean, actually, Willoughby might be better to talk about this. I mean, I know what it is, but Willoughby, we, if you wanted to explain, because you... Are we talking about the the story? The story? Uh... No, the filming technique, the 180-degree rule with the camera and, like, you can't cross the line. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The line of sight or something. So, basically, you know... It's hard to explain without showing visuals, but if you have a character on, like, the left side of the frame talking to a character, like, opposite them, when you you go to the opposite shot, they're going to be on the right side of the frame, and they're going to be looking left. And it's, like... There's, like, this invisible line, basically, between yeah, these two characters that you, the camera cannot cross, yeah. or else it yeah. will be very jarring for the viewer, essentially. Yeah it's, yeah. Called the, yeah, it's called the axis line, mm-hmm. and it's... Yeah, and it's basically... So, like, classic Hollywood films, like... You know, you see films these days that will break those rules and will do more interesting things with their filmmaking, whereas classic Hollywood definitely 
did not stray away from that very much. They also and did, they used a lot of sets and not a lot of locations. Mm-hmm. So the camera yes. was kind of placed in one position, and you're kind of seeing a almost like a stage set, uh, yeah. like a stage play. And you really, there's no, you know, if you if you look at, uh, like, a lot of Hitchcock movies or, like, any of these classic Hollywoods, you know, if you turn the camera around where the camera is in a, in a room, you'll just see, a, like, the back, the back, like, a sound stage. Mm-hmm. You won't actually see the rest of the room. Yeah. Whereas a lot of modern movies will try to film in locations, even if they're indoors. They'll go to, like, a, an apartment or something, mm-hmm. or they'll build it in a set, but in, to- in complete totality mm-hmm. uh, to give you that immersive um, visual identity to the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, they didn't do a lot of jump cuts. They didn't do a lot of, like, a lot of their shots were medium shots in classic Hollywood, so it's all very kind of, like, basic filmmaking techniques, partially because filmmaking, these filmmaking techniques were being sort of invented at this time, like, they weren't, you know, they were pretty new for the time, and so that's why you have classic Hollywood films are mostly about story and character, because visually, they they weren't kind of, like, doing groundbreaking things, except for, like, when they introduced color, but that's or every Not once in a while there was the same, mm-hmm. but that really developed with the French New Wave. Yeah, and you yeah. see a couple of um, experimental directors like uh, Willoughby said earlier. Hitchcock tried a couple things um, with his long take film Rope. He used a lot of handheld yes. in that as well. Even though the whole film was supposed to take place in one long take, he did cu- do a couple of cuts that he had to kind of use really creatively um, the camera and like how to like make it feel like it never actually cuts. Yeah, so. We've talked. We're going to talk about a few things when it comes to classic Hollywood in this episode, but we've already touched on um, the stars. So I think we should just kind of give our listeners just kind of like some of our favorites when it comes to stars and movies, because stars. One of the big things about them is that like they, like we've said, they were kind of bigger than their movies, mm-hmm. and a lot of them had contracts with different studios, which meant that they could pretty much only do movies for that studio, unless they were loaned out to another studio. Basically, I mean, stars were basically treated like objects. Cattle. Yeah, like cattle, basically. Like, like Hail Caesar, even though it wasn't a great movie, did a good job of, like, showcasing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so these stars were kind of like, you know, like your Humphrey Bogarts, your Cary Grants. They were bigger than their films, so, like, when people went to go see a movie, it was, like, a Humphrey Bogart film. Mm-hmm. Like, that was one of the big draws of the films. Um, so they are kind of... You know, people, when they talk about classic Hollywood, they'll talk about their favorite films, but they'll also talk about their favorite stars because the stars were so big in and of themselves. Mm. Um, So before we get into kind of like deep dive discussion, why don't you guys share some of your favorite movies and stars from the time period? So I was a big fan of Audrey Hepburn. That's a little bit cliche to say. I had the little box DVD set of um, Roman Holiday, Sabrina, and um, not My Fair Lady, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. And I I really liked her sort of sweet uh, ingenue type character that she often played. Um, she never really grew beyond that. Even as she got older, she kind of left acting and became, you know, a, an ambassador for, like, the UN, I think, and kind of never really left that ingenue um, persona that she had and that she became known for, which is a little bit, it's a little, it's a little sad, but um, it's how it goes with classic Hollywood. Uh, but I think she really did that well, and she had this sort of wide-eyed, really 
vulnerable innocence to her. Um, but at the same time, she was quite, I don't know, genuine and earthy, I guess you'll say. Yeah, Audrey um, Hepburn's great. I love Audrey. And another Hepburn I really love, Catherine Hepburn, who is quite the opposite of Audrey in that she's very brass, brash, sorry, brash and like very feminist. I remember she was particularly known for always wanting to wear pants. And that caused quite a bit of uh, controversy with her studio, I think, because, you know, at the time she was making films in the 40s and 50s, and it was still quite standard for actresses to be wearing, you know, glamorous skirts and dresses. But Catherine Hepburn was one of the first, I think, to really um, just wear pants all the time. And she looked Well, you know the them. story of what RKO did with her pants one day at I the studio, not. right? No. Oh my gosh. There was a time where, yeah, because it was like, you know, she was supposed to be more feminine, and she always wore pants and stuff, so mm-hmm. RKO took her pants, and she just walked around the studio a lot in her underwear, because she was like... I love her. Yeah, she was like, I want to wear my pants, and if you're not going <laughs> to give them to me, like, I'm just going to walk around my underwear. I'm not going to wear dresses because you mm-hmm. want me to. Yeah, um, I, yeah, that's, that's an awesome story. Yeah, and, and um, she was notorious for, like, not going to the Oscars... Mm. And it's just kind of not kind of bowing to all the Hollywood societal rules and not giving things a like heck. that. Not giving yeah. a heck. She was an early rebel. Actually, one thing I will want to say, like based off of Katherine Hepburn and a lot of really strong uh, actresses of that time period, I feel like they almost had more power and like heft within Hollywood than actresses will do today. Because I feel like there were a lot more just like divas and stars from that time period who really only stuck by doing like strong, interesting, complex female characters. Um, Like uh, Betty Davis, who uh, is being portrayed in Feud right now, she was really, was uh, known for always going for really complex and kind of anti-hero roles, very like anti-glamorous. And I really like that about her. Um, And, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of disappeared to having like these kind of really powerful female actresses who, you know, are can stand on their own and like have as much box office draw as the biggest actors of that day. But yeah, Catherine Hepburn. Who else? I had a bit of a phase with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers before I like watched ten of their movies and was like, wow, that was all the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've talked about on our musical episode. Yes, we did. Um, what else? I had a big crush on Cary Grant. I had a weird crush on Humphrey Bogart for a little bit. Um, I won't say it's weird because like he's not a typically good like good looking guy, but he has this gravitas um, and just like I see why everyone's in love with him because he just he just draws you in and he has this really great persona that is like really attractive. I don't know how. Um, what else? Uh, what are some of your favorite movies? Movies. Okay. Ooh, classic Hollywood movies. So I, I would say mm, the ones I'm thinking about now are kind of post-classic Hollywood. So I really like Sunset Boulevard, but it was kind of a more subversion of the early classic movies, I guess you would say. It was kind of noir- noir-ish. Um, another good one is Mildred Pierce that I really like. Another noir with um, Joan Crawford. Um, I do really like Roman Holiday. It's one of my go-to just like when it's a rainy day and I want to just cuddle up with the movie. 
uh, kind of film. And it has kind of a bittersweet ending, which is very me. I, I like It does. I think it really elevates that film. And Audrey Hepburn is great in it. That was her debut role, and she is just so fantastic. Um, let's see. What was my favorite, fr- my favorite Fred and Ginger movie? I think I really like Top Hat. That was a good one. It's a classic. Um, Carrier Grant. Um, Arsenic and Old Lace. I haven't seen Arsenic and Old Lace, actually. Ooh, girl! It's hilarious. I know, I know. Goodness. I know. I do... I feel like I've seen a lot of Cary Grant movies, but I can't pinpoint one that would be very... My favorite from the like oh, Philadelphia his, Story. His Girl Friday, actually. I love His, his Girl, Girl Friday. Friday, Philadelphia Story, Bringing mm-hmm. Up Baby. Mm-hmm. Rosalind Russell Carrie is also great so funny. He's hilarious. Um, Hitchcock? Oh, I love a lot of Hitchcock films that I like. <laughs> North by Northwest, he's great in it. Um, as he is in Not- Notorious, uh, which I, I think would be my favorite Hitchcock film, actually. Notorious is. Um, let's see. Jimmy Stewart. Rear Window, he's great in. Um... Ooh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington is is a classic. I don't know. There's so many good ones. I'm just like listing off random classic Hollywood movies that I enjoy. I feel like if I had to dive into this lot more, like I have a longer list. But yeah. Yeah. So Willoughby, what are some of your favorite movies and or stars from the time? Um. So, I mean, I haven't seen a ton that you guys have seen. I've seen mostly the not cliche ones, but the more popular classic Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if I had to choose my favorite, it would be Citizen Kane. It's a super cliche answer. but I'm not cliche. That's fair. It's a groundbreaking film. It is a groundbreaking film, and that, that's one of the reasons why I love it. Is, uh, it, it has given us so many different techniques, filmmaking-wise. Um, it I can't remember if it introduces, but it definitely pioneers the uh, uh, long focus shot in which everything is in focus, mm-hmm. um, and you, you get a sense of depth in that movie, everything is l- very large to scale um, and shadowy and noiry and all that so jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple of the other favorite movies that I had on my list um, uh, Singing in the Rain is one of them, obviously. Um, Casablanca, uh, North by Northwest, which is also one of my mom's favorite movies, which I, I saw uh, two weeks ago in theaters. Uh, Fathom Events did a. Like, oh, nice! A, 60th anniversary um or no i don't know they just had it in theaters so we we went we went and saw it um and uh other ones that i really liked would be like his girl friday which we talked about it's a good one it's i watched it in my critical approach to cinema class um taught by eric Dusser, friend of the podcast friend uh, of the pod friend of the pod Ooh. uh who brought us all together uh, he showed that in our class. Fun, fun fact about His Girl Friday, um, Rosalind Russell's character was originally meant to be a man. A man. Yep. And uh, they changed it into a woman, and they added the whole uh, past romance between her and Cary Grant's character, and it really electrified the film, like having that whole uh, romance component to it. And also, like, it's still, it isn't, like, the main central part of the film. It's still, like... It's so it's so great. I love His Girl Friday. The dialogue in it is so great. It's so snappy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, <laughs> I'm going to intervene again. I forgot to mention All About Eve, my favorite Betty Davis movie. She's so good in it. Um, oh, now Voyager. She's great in it as well. <laughs> I'm, like, mentioning a bunch. Maltese Falcon is a, my Humphrey Bogart film that I really love. Um, anyways, I'm done. You go ahead, Willoughby. No, I was almost done. I was just going to mention that um, King Kong which, which mm. is one of the only like real good genre films. I've actually never the, seen that. The, the original, original one, yeah. It's very interesting, very good. Mm. 
you know, it inspired Peter Jackson basically to be a filmmaker. Mm. Uh, and um, in terms of actors and actresses, um, pretty much all the regulars, you know, <laughs> like I don't want to mull over the same list that you guys are going over, but basically the same people. Like mm-hmm. specifically, I'd have to say Cary Grant's my favorite. He's just he radiates suave mm-hmm. suaveness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Anya, please tell us everything. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to classic Hollywood, Lauren Bacall is everything to me. Um, she's my favorite actress from the time. She's one of my favorite figures in general. Um, I love her and everything that she did and everything that she was. Her autobiography is incredible. Um, it's a really great read. Your Tumblr URL is Lauren Bacall. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just she's wonderful, and I love her whole persona. Um, and I really love her and Humphrey Bogart. I mean, when it comes to classic Hollywood, they're like my two main faves. Um, and I love all their films. It's really incredible watching their films because like their chemistry is palpable. Mm -hmm. Like you can really see kind of why they became that classic couple that they did because they were off the charts. They were incredible. I, I can't, I don't know if I can pick a favorite of their, they only did four movies together. Um, but Big Sleep to Have and Have Not, Dark Passage, and Key Largo. Um, Big Sleep and Have and Have Not are both really great, and they're both the two most well-known, probably. But I have a soft spot for Dark Passage, um, personally. Big Sleep so, was their first one they did together, right? I think. Um, uh, or was it To Have and Have Not? I, I should know this off the top of my <laughs> head. Um, it's one of the two. So, um, what do you think? Uh, I want to know this. What do you think about how the studio essentially built up Lauren Bacall to be, like, the female version of Humphrey Bogart. Like, she, her voice was originally not that smoky Mm-mm. and gravelly, and, like, she basically trained her voice to become, like, that low. And she I did. think she actually damaged her vocal cords because of it. Yeah, um, she would drive her car to, like, canyons, like, empty canyons, and she would basically just, like, scream. Oh, my gosh. Um, and kind of deepen and hoarsen her voice mm-hmm. um, to kind of get what they wanted yeah, and but like, what do you what do you think of that? Like, they basically like molded her in his image, but like, and then they ended up falling in love anyways. But like, was that ever a little bit strange? And that you know she was kind of meant to be meant to be with him, like kind of catered to be toward. Um, him? she was not catered to be with him because when mm-hmm. they started having a relationship, everyone tried to make that not happen. Really? Like, yeah, yeah, no, they were, because, I mean, well, he was married at the time to mm-hmm. Mayo, um, and, yeah, they they didn't want them. They wanted them to be a good on-screen couple, mm-hmm. but off-screen they weren't supposed to be together. Um, and I think, you know, her kind of being groomed that way was less, partly for Humphrey Bogart, but mostly just to, like, make her the actress that they wanted her to be for movies even beyond with Humphrey Bogart. And that's why I think that, like, people like Catherine Hepburn and Betty Davis are somewhat of the outliers and that, like, women didn't have a lot of autonomy because the studios could control them so much Mm -hmm. um, and cut them off if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. Um, Lauren Bacall also dealt with a lot of anti-Semitism when she first arrived in Hollywood Mm -hmm. from the studios. And so she kind of had to overcome kind of everything that they were trying to make her and all the discrimination and kind of come into her own. Um, And so, obviously, I don't think it's right. The studio system is a very complicated beast 
that mm-hmm. is not always that respectable or admirable. Um, but I think the fact that she kind of overcame it to become her own person is really great. And I mean, she and Bogier lovely. I really love them. They loved each other so much. It's ridiculous how in love they were. Um, But yeah, I mean, fun story. (laughs) Fun. Humphrey Bogart's wife, when he met Lauren McCall Mayo, uh, at one point she literally stabbed him in the back. Like, Oh my god. A literal knife, like, stabbed him in the back. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, They had a very volatile relationship and Bogey wanted out so bad. Um, and he would, like, call up Lauren McCall, like, three in the morning and be like, I need you. And they would drive out together and meet on the highway and just, like, sit in each other's cars and just, they kind of became an escape for each other. They would go out to his boat together when he could get away and, yeah, and then eventually he got his divorce and he married Lauren McCall and they remained married until his death. Um, I have a lot of feelings about Lauren McCall and Humphrey Bogart. Um, they're your, they're your real, your OTP for life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond them, um, I really like, you know, I, like I, we've mentioned Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the Philadelphia story. That's one of my favorites. Um, Jimmy Stewart is great. He should have won his Oscar for that movie. Um, oh no, he did. He did. He also should have won it for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yeah. He didn't win for Mr. Smith. I remember yeah. that was- and people often say that his Oscar for Philadelphia Story was somewhat of a we're making it up to you for not giving it to you for Mr. Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a huge Gregory Peck fan. I <gasps> love Peck. Gregory Peck. I about and Gregory. To Kill a he Mockingbird. Did, he, to Kill a Mockingbird is one of my He's favorite films holiday too. of all time. He's also in a film with Lauren Bacall called Designing Woman. It was mm-hmm. after Bogey died. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really love Gregory Peck. Um... And Casablanca is one of my favorite, too, with Humphrey Bogart. It's a classic. I just, it's so good. I remember when I first saw it, and I had that mindset of, like, like how good is it really? Like, everyone says it's one of the best films. Like, is it going to be, like, that good? Is it going to be boring and stuff? Which mm-hmm. we're going to talk about a bit later. And I watched it, and it blew me away. I actually it's had that same incredible. reaction. Yeah, I had that same reaction, too, because it's been so steeped in our culture and parodied so many times that it's, like, how how can I see this and be surprised by it or be, like, you know, actually be able to spend my disbelief because it's just so, you know, ingrained in our culture. But I was surprised by how good of a film it was. Um, Just, like, the story is great and the characters are so great. And Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman are amazing in it. Wow, I really love it. And It's so good. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's surprising. Like, I do want to say, like, when we get our discussion later, it's surprising how there are a lot of, classic Hollywood films that still like yeah surprise me and like will yeah. still give, are still hold up today despite you know everyone knowing so much about them already yeah and then I also just wanted to kind of to wrap this up because I don't want to be this list of all my favorites which there are mm-hmm. plenty of um Marilyn Monroe is incredible mm-hmm. I she's wonderful um and you know I remember like hearing about her growing up and you would just hear about this like blonde bombshell and kind of how she was like a sex symbol and I remember growing up, and that was all I heard about her. I didn't hear anything else like about her as like an actress or a person, which is a shame. Um, and it's you know it's something that contributed to kind of the mental illness that she struggled with. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you read about her and you also see her act, like she's incredible. 
she is so much more than what kind of the surface level depiction of her is. Like, she's a wonderful actress. She's incredibly smart and subversive and astute and just aware of who she is and the power she held. And I just think Marilyn Monroe is just wonderful. So I've only actually seen Gentlemen Prefer Blondes of the Marilyn Monroe movies, but um, I agree with you to an extent, although I kind of see her as um, a lot basically a very tragic figure because of you know, how her life went down. Yeah. There's, there's a really good um, Truman Capote story. He was a good friend of hers, um, and he did, like, this short story about her and, like, how he met her at a funeral one day. Well, this is not the first meeting, but they're, like, they, like, met up at a funeral one day. And this was, like, kind of close to her death, and she was struggling with depression and stuff. And I think it was, like, kind of in the midst of her affair with um, JFK, and she had, like... And it was, like, this really kind of sad and, like, worn-out depiction of her that was really um, surprising, I guess I will say. It was, like, it's really it's really sweet and sad. And um, I think, like, a lot of depictions of her nowadays kind of miss that sort of vulnerability that she really um, yeah. radiates. Um, well, and that's what, I, that's what I mean is that, like, all she is is this, like, sex symbol... Mm-hmm. And kind of, it's just about kind of her looks and that kind of flirty, coy nature that mm-hmm. she could have as a starlet. But she was tragic, and like I said, she did suffer from mental illness, and she mm-hmm. struggled under the all the pressure and the way people treated her, mm-hmm. and the fact that she, you know, didn't get the help she needed. But you watch her, and she's magnetic, and she's mm-hmm. a lot smarter and more talented than I think people, you know, not give her credit for, but, like, we just need to talk about it more, I think. I just just love Marilyn Monroe. I do want to say that of all the depictions of her that I've seen, like, on film, um, My Week with Marilyn was actually quite a good one with Michelle Williams. The movie itself was not that great, but Michelle Williams was was amazing as her, her, yeah. And she had, like, this, there's this one scene I really remember where she says to Eddie Redmayne's character, um, do you want to see her? And she, like, goes in front of this, like, gaggle of people who are, like, fawning over her, and she, like, turns on the Marilyn Monroe persona. And it's, like, it's amazing because up until then she was, like, this really fragile, almost, like, bird-like character who was, like, feels like she would fall apart any moment, but then she turns it on and suddenly she's Marilyn. And it's, like, I think that that is a lot of what classic Hollywood is. Like, you know, that persona may not be, may or may not be connected to, like, that actual person's, identity, but it is also still, like, a part of them, as yeah. well as, like, what really draws us into that whole glam. Yeah, and speaking of side. one of your favorites, I mean, her screen debut was all about Eve. Yeah. So, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. she's... and she was a, just, like, a side character. She was, like, on on the, se- on, a, on the screen for, like, five seconds. Yeah, she was she very was, like, brief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so that's kind of a long-winded way to say some of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Um... So let's talk about kind of like the legacy of classic Hollywood and kind of what it means to a larger extent. I've touched on this before, but like when something has a label of classic, like classic literature, classic films, there's this idea that it's boring because it it's from so long ago and it's not as exciting as more modern day things. But, you know, if you read enough, if you watch enough, you'll realize that at the end of the day, they're all just stories about 
characters and about human life and relationships, and I think they're a lot more engaging than kind of what people think they are if they haven't seen a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you guys think about this? Yeah, you um, you touched this on, touched on this a little bit before with uh, your viewing of Casablanca. I had that with Cas- Casablanca and also with Psycho, which is kind of like towards the tail end of um, classic Hollywood. That was more towards like the the new wave of Hollywood post studio system because that was kind of um, the end of like the Hayes Code and like that censorship. Yeah, it was really when Hitchcock was really starting to break away from. The yeah, studios. it was kind of his breaking away, um, but. I remember seeing Psycho, and I was expecting to know a lot of the story, because it's just been so ingrained. Everyone knows that Norman Bates is the killer, um, and like the uh, what's her name? Oh my god, I forgot her name. L- the actress. Oh, the actress. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot her name. She was it starts with an L, I think. Uh, <laughs> I'm well, Marion Crow. Blanking. Marion Crane. That's the character she plays. Um, I had the same. Oh, Janet Lee. Janet Lee. Janet Lee. I knew it starts with an L of some sort. Okay, so Janet Lee, the star of the film, like dies like ten minutes into the film, but I was surprised by how well done and how just um, magnetic and uh, just riveting that film was, because it it's not just the twists and like the big shower scene that make the film. It's everything else that goes into it. Um, it was the, up until the last frame. Up too. until the last frame, like the music, the the sound effects, like the story, the acting is all really great and it holds up still today. Although I will say it's a little bit more experimental than what we're talking about with classic Hollywood. Um, but going back with Casablanca, that's also a story that we we know so much, but we really don't know much about it. We're just like, oh, she gets on the plane and he doesn't, and there's a hill of beans or something. <laughs> um, but it's just like it's so well acted. Humphrey Bogart is. So great as the world's wary, just like disillusioned guy. I love the bu- the scene with him in the bar so much, where he's like, of all the, the great cl- of all the clubs in all the world, she walks into mine. It's, I know it's been said so many times, but it is so good the way he does it. And I don't know, there's a magic about classic Hollywood films that is hard to recapture. It was like lightning in a bottle almost, despite it being very. Um, you know, a part of this whole system and kind of manufactured, it's still just something magical about it. I completely uh, I'll agree. To, I'll mm-hmm. have to add uh, Singing in the Rain to that. Uh, we talked. I talked about this on our musical episode, but I was amazed by how modern it felt mm-hmm. watching it because I didn't, I didn't, going in, I knew the famous parts of it, you know, the actual Singing in the Rain, the um, um, Good Morning uh, song, and but that was kind of it. And then I watched the whole film, and I was like, oh, this is like kind of subversive of the Hollywood studio system. I really mm-hmm. love this. So I'd have to put that in uh, another Hitchcock film, North by Northwest, uh, that was made in 1959, but it felt really modern, especially at the end with, the, with Mount Rushmore. Like, the fact that they, the huge they did that. Piece. They yeah. did that. Like, uh, my parents went to Mount Rushmore last year, and they were, you know, they saw where they filmed parts of it, and it was just one of those, like, weird moments where you're like, you know, a movie in 1959 can be as just as thrilling and, if not more so, more compelling than a movie that takes place in 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, they're classics. They're classics for a reason. Oh, sorry, they're classics for a reason. They create this standard for s- filmmaking and cinema that is honestly hard to beat, and it's like a gold standard that other films 
today can hold themselves up to and take influence from and sometimes better. But I think that like, you know, because they set that standard and because they did it so well that, you know, classic ho- classic Hollywood films should not be, you know, nothing to sneeze at, you know? Yeah. I think there's a reason why on everyone's top 100 lists of greatest films of all time, you know, you get like Citizen Kane is either number one or number two, and Vertigo is number one or number two. Vertigo um, beat Citizen Kane recently. Recently, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember that caused a huge uproar with all our <laughs> film friends. Um, and, you know, there's a reason why all these movies are still topping all the lists um, because they are that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, Citizen and Kane, I think, is actually is actually as good as people are saying it. People say yeah, it. and that's the thing, is people like to rebel against things that are labeled classic because it's like well who decides that and like you know what why is it better just because it's a classic but the thing is like these movies have been around for decades and like we've been saying they hold up and if you watch them without any pretenses like they are really good and I think you know like it's the idea of like being a a dissenter just for the sake of dissenting and kind of being a cynic but, like, why? Like, these films are that good, and we can enjoy them, and we can admire what they did. And, you know, I don't think that, you know, they kind of deserve some of the flack that they've gotten just for being classic films. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, we, we're talking about, like, the thrillers and kind of the dramas, but I think the comedies of classic Hollywood also, people don't give them credit for how sharp they are. I mean, I say people don't give them credit. Plenty of people do give them credit, but, like, you know, like, people who might not be as familiar with classic Hollywood have these notions of what classic Hollywood is, of what those dramas were, and what those comedies were, and, you know, I think if people haven't seen a lot of them, they should give them a chance, and they'll find that they're a lot more universal and relatable than they might have considered. You know, I've mentioned Philadelphia Story, but Desk Set is also a really good comedy. That's one of the um, Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy comedies. Their relationship was a whirlwind. <sighs> Spencer Tracy is not the greatest. He is... Mm, I have feelings about him. Mm. Um, but, like, you know... It, and maybe it's because Catherine Hepburn and who she was, but, like, Death Set, she plays basically, like, this librarian reference researcher kind of person, and he comes in with, like, a big computer and to kind of, like, automate her job and, like, you know, potentially put her out of a job, which is, like, something we're still talking about today. Mm-hmm. And, but the, her idea is also of just, like, I'm a woman and you're a man and I'm just as smart as this computer and just as smart as you. And it's things that are still going on today and are still in movies today. And I think the dialogue might have even been snappier back then. I do want to say, there, you make a good point about comedies. Um, but romantic comedies in particular were more well-viewed, I think, in classic Hollywood than they are today. Because, like, the romantic comedies, like Death Set, like The Apartment, um, like... Um, Roman Holiday. Roman Holiday, uh, or Philadelphia Story, all... Or It Happened One Night, a great romantic comedy. Those were all... Those weren't deemed just women's films, like romantic comedies are deemed today. I th- and, like, they were just, like, successful as, like, your typical drama or action film um, back in the day. They had as much sway, and they were also as, like, critically as acclaimed, too. And I wonder, like, because it's interesting, because, like, they are almost more well-received 
in like classic Hollywood system than romantic comedies are in modern day. Especially this modern day. Mm-hmm. And like there's more writing and more good writing and more good acting that went into them. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with the stars too. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of romantic comedies are based off of the stars. It's like one of the genres that are really did well in the studio system because of that. So maybe that's why they kind of floundered today. We don't have our big stars. Well, we had Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan for yeah. a while. Yeah, that was in the 90s. Hugh though. Grant. That was 20 years ago. Hugh Grant. Also in the mm-hmm. 90s. Exactly. Yeah, the 90s yeah. is was still was another like golden age of rom-coms. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. we, although Walter did that really great piece about how we still have rom We're entering like a new golden age of rom-coms. They just look different. Mm-hmm. And they're on TV. They used to, and they're on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I it's it's interesting, and I think it also goes to the idea of how much clout the stars held. Like, mm-hmm. even if people looked derisively down on rom coms, if it was, you know, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn, they yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and I just just to show you how much power that these stars had, kind of like it could be. Not a great film, but, you know, cash Gregory Peck in it, and it's great. Suddenly, yep, suddenly it's great. Suddenly it's prestigious. And so, you know, and that does sort of happen today to an extent with some actors, but not nearly to the same degree. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think if you could pick any any dude from Ocean's Eleven and throw them in a movie... You'll get that kind of like. Although we're not, gonna throw Matt Damon in the movie. We're gonna throw Brad Pitt, George Clooney. Like no, you, I kind you, of only do it with George so Clooney. Not so much anymore. Yeah, not so much anymore. Like, not anymore, even, but like at least ten years ago. Yeah, but even now, like you would throw Matt Damon in a movie. The, the last Jason Bourne movie was terrible. Well, that's. I, yeah. I, not, it obviously doesn't work for every movie. But yeah. I feel like those action movies. It's a whole yeah. different beast. I feel like it's kind of it. You could do that. You could do that ten years ago, but it's kind of died now. There's no blockbuster yeah. star anymore. Once he bought that zoo, you know, it <laughs> from Matt Damon. I don't know what it is with people and this movie. That movie is charming and lovely, and I really like it. I still actually, I have not seen it. It's like the best thing Cameron Crowe has done in years. <laughs> he bought a zoo. I don't so, know. That movie is delightful. <laughs> I do want to say, to kind of wrap up our Hollywood dis- classic Hollywood discussion, I want to talk about the nostalgia that we've been seeing more recently with um, in classic for classic Hollywood. Uh, we've seen it in films like *Hail Caesar*, um, *La La Land*, the TV show *Feud* that we kind of that is airing its season finale tonight, or its first season finale tonight, which is about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Um, what else? The artist. There's all the artists. Um, which came out five yeah. years ago. Yeah, there's been so much nostalgia for recently, and I feel like it's only going to be on the uptick, especially now with Feud having regular seasons. And La La Land critically doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, people will want more of what what we saw with that. Which, yeah. even though it takes place in modern day, gives you a feeling of nostalgia. It's all about classic Hollywood, honestly, because yeah. it's about how much better it is. They go onto sound stages, and you can tell that they're like trying to not show, like, real modern-day sound yeah. stages. It's very much, like, yeah. what classic Hollywood looks so like. So many homages to an American Paris or... Very primary color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think the best one still is The Artist. I think that's the one that's captured in the nostalgia the most for me, and I think it's also, out of all the movies we're talking about, I think The Artist and TV shows, The Artist is still the best one. 
I think it's ironic you say that because it's about the silent film era, but we really haven't talked about the silent film era. Yeah, well, it's not really in the classic Hollywood designation that we've, we've had. Well, so we yeah, talked about at the beginning that. of the episode that it's included, yeah. but we're talking about the golden age of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Mm-hmm. But True. I actually will disagree with you, Anya, because I like The Artist, but I found that the most of the acclaim for it was kind of around a gimmick. And that's like, oh, most of it was just like, wow, we can do a silent film nowadays. How amazing. And You're wrong. How groundbreaking. Um, I actually did like, in terms of homages to classic Hollywood, I did like La La Land better because I think that it, despite being set in modern day, really captured that feeling of glitz and glamour and kind of enchantment that we see in a lot of classic Hollywood films. Anya's just like shaking her head. For those head. of you, Anya's <laughs> like, been shaking her head for 30 remember, seconds straight now. I remember me. the criticism against the artist for being just a gimmick, and I rebel mm-hmm. against that so strongly. I think that is such a shallow look at the film and what it was doing and the power of Jean Dujardin, who is the best. Great, he's great, he's great. I don't, I don't doubt the acting abilities, like the performance of Jean Dujardin. Jean Dujardin, he was really great in it. Um, as the was, dog was great. The dog was great. I just was not quite as enchanted as you were, Anya. And despite some of my shortcomings with La La Land, I think it really captured that classic Hollywood feeling really well. But I think it also kind of fell into that rabbit hole that we see a lot of this nostalgia for this age in terms of, like, everything was better back then. It was simpler. It was just bright colors and happy things and everything ended happily for the most part. There's like some bittersweetness, but everyone got what they wanted. So I kind of think that it's a little detrimental in a way that we've had this nostalgia for it, but I think that like it's also interesting that it's happening now. But then you have something like Feud, which shows kind of the darker side of things, mm-hmm. but is not doing it with the nuance that it should. And I think that's kind of where Feud is coming up short. Feud is not, it's, it's not nearly as good as I wanted it to be. Um, I mean, you have to realize that Matt, uh, Ryan Murphy's, uh, he, he doesn't have nuance or subtle in his <laughs> well, vocabulary. The thing is, yeah, OJ, The People vs. OJ was so amazing. Oh, it was. It no, was I'm, so I'm, not, I'm not discrediting People vs. OJ, but that also was not, I mean, that laid everything on thick. It was not subtle, but it also really balanced well the, the racial tensions and disparities in that film, whereas, or like in that, in that case, TV I'm show. sorry, in that TV show, The Case, um, whereas Feud is just like, it's very clunky mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, takes things at service value and like really, yeah, it's, it's not subtle and it's really campy. Ooh. Is it a commentary on it's, classic Hollywood It's uh, both a commentary and... It's both a commentary and it also kind of leans into the stereotypes. So I don't really know. Like it doesn't subvert them enough. Yeah, it doesn't. Sub- I don't know. I don't, well, the thing I is, if really it's going to be a commentary, it has to be better. Better. It, it, yeah. To be an effective commentary, it has to be. It has to actually tackle those complexities. Mm-hmm. And instead it, of and just presenting them and not doing and anything instead about instead, it. it kind of creates this sort of camp spectacle in which we view this feud of these really complicated women. And it kind of hints at the complexities of these women, but at the same time it boils them down to, like, the simple catfight in a way. Yeah, which, like, you know, you do... There is camp in kind of anything that looks back at classic Hollywood. There's camp in The Artist. There's Mm -hmm. camp in La La Land. Like, that Mm -hmm. kind of bigger-than-life look at things. So it's not that the camp in itself is bad. It's just that it doesn't kind of dig deeper 
beyond that mm-hmm. surface level. Um, I do want to give a shout out to this really great article by Angelica Jade Bastian um, on in Vulture, I think, that she talked about the depiction of classic Hollywood and camp and why they are so closely tied together and whether that's a good or bad thing, um, which basically you just kind of summarize Anya, but she has a really good article on that as well. Um, yeah. yeah, and, I, you know, I do want to say just, like, I don't think the nostalgia is anything new necessarily in that just we as a society are constantly looking back um, for whatever reason, if it's just that we romanticize how things used to be because we're afraid of what the future holds. But, I mean, we've always been nostalgic for time periods, you know, like you, you know, earlier in decades, people were nostalgic for the 80s, and then people were nostalgic for the 50s. And it's like, nostalgia is going to be here all the time, like constantly. I just hope we never go through it with the 90s, because we literally never need to return I to mean, the 90s, ever. We kind of are. No. Have you ever read a BuzzFeed article? Have you seen all the chokers that are around now? <laughs> I'm just saying, the 90s is not a good decade. For fashion, Neither for media. The 2000s. No, I'm saying the 90s and the early 2000s, we should forget. We should leave them in their place and never return to them. Uh, I don't yeah. know why people are so late already for the You're going no. against basically the foundation. I think it's too late. You're already seeing. We're seeing so many chokers. We're seeing so much grunge, um, flannel, grunge flannel. Like return to that. Um, flannel we're the return great. To mumblecore films. <laughs> oh God. But nostalgia is nothing new, and I don't know. I don't know if nostalgia works. I really don't. You know, I, I don't know if it works to kind of retread stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. As long as it's done well with a new take on it, I think. Yeah, I think if it's going to be done, I you know, I also just still want people to watch the things mm-hmm. that came from this nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I guess. I guess what I'm trying to say is people go watch more classic Hollywood films. Okay, I think that <laughs> is a good way to wrap up our classic Hollywood discussion. Um, if you want to chime in about classic Hollywood, let us know. But before that, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. So, Anya. Since this was your special Classic Hollywood episode as our resident Classic Hollywood expert, what is your really like this week? Nothing to do with Classic Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) I really like science. It has been a great weekend for science, guys. I went to the Science March, which was wonderful, here in Los Angeles. And I've been watching Bill Nye's new Netflix show all weekend. It's called Bill Nye Saves the World. And it's so much fun. I love the format. I love that it's kind of aimed at an older audience. Um, Because the format of the show is basically every episode he tackles a different topic in science. And he has, like, he'll, like, talk about it for a little bit. And then a correspondent will go out into the world of kind of an example of where this, like, science topic is happening. And then you'll have a panel of people talking about the topic who disagree on the topic and kind of what their opinions are. And so it's not like his old show. Mm-mm, no, it's nothing. It's, not like it's nothing guy. like his old show. Um, but he has a lot of like fun gimmicks too. Like Rachel Bloom was on there and she sang a song, and it was what? completely. I saw that. Clip. Yeah, it was completely scientifically inaccurate, and he kept interrupting to be like, "Rachel, this is not how it happened. This is not true." And she kept being like, "Bill, like I'm doing my thing." <laughs> 
and you should watch it. It's, it's really just funny. really fun and it's educational and I like I think what I like about this is that it's no holds barred. Like he Bill Nye isn't trying to like kind of present He doesn't shy around politics. No, he doesn't shy around politics, but also just kind of like what these topics their their larger implication in society and mm. you know, like he's not being like we don't know if climate change is real. Like, he's like, climate change is real. Like, he goes there. And I really like that because I think it's time to get rid of this false balance that we have in media and start just being like, vaccinate your kids. Climate change is real. I don't see why we need to present any other arguments because they're harmful to society. This has been, this is, I'm going on like a moral rant now. (laughs) (laughs) Basically science is incredible. And I love that we're celebrating it this weekend. And I just really like science guys. Does Neil deGrasse Tyson show up? um, He's shown up as an AI coffee machine. Oh, Um, but he hasn't actually, he he hasn't actually shown up in any episode yet. Um, but yeah, I want, and I think in an alternate... Wait, that also is the plot of Legion. <laughs> so, oh, oh, it, it is. is. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> um, in an alternate universe, I hope that I am a scientist, basically. Cause I'm... Oh, I thought you were going to say, I hope that I'm an AI coffee machine. <laughs> or that you were Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> I mean, any of these work. Any of these work for me. Um, but basically, I'm a big science enthusiast, and while I don't really have the smarts to be an actual scientist, um, I support it, and I hope that in another universe, I am smart enough to be a scientist. Fingers. Cross fingers for Thank AU, you. Anya. <laughs> Alternate universe, alt Anya. <laughs> Thank you, Anya. So, Willoughby, what is your really like for this week? A little movie called Colossal. Ooh. I really loved it. I saw it on Friday with my girlfriend. It's so weird and interesting and funny and dark and, like, just the really good, really good. I don't really want to give too much of the plot away, because it's it really you know I I didn't under, I didn't know a lot going in I had, I didn't even watch the trailer mm-hmm. and I was really glad I didn't because I knew I, you know I saw I've seen the poster and I see like screenshots I knew Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis and Anya's boy Dan Stevens was in it yeah, yeah. but I didn't know much about the plot other by other than what I've kind of seen from the poster you know it doesn't give a lot away but it kind of gives this connection to this monster way. Mm-hmm. But I didn't understand the plot of the... I didn't know what the plot of the movie was. And when I found out, I was like, okay, I'm here for this. Mm. And, like, it's very, it's a very satisfying movie. Uh, the people who deserve their comeuppance get their comeuppance. Mm. And I'm really glad about that. Um, and Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway is great. Mm. Um, I don't understand the Anne Hathaway hate. Uh, yeah, like I said, the Hatha hate, Hatha go. Yeah. Um, I love that. Dan, St- Dan Stevens is good in it. Um, uh, duh. Kind of plays, playing as, kind of a jerk. Kind of a jerk, but like, I mean, he's a good. He, he's good at playing a jerk. He's good at everything, um, Willoughby. I don't know what you're talking about. Jason Sudeikis gave a really interesting kind performance. Scary, performance. Scary. It's not. I mean, he kind of, you know, he at, he's one type of person at, at 
at the beginning, and then as well, the movie develops, he becomes someone else. He's kind of like the villain version of the nice guy TM. Well, yeah. I mean, he kind of is the grown-up version of that. Yeah, so. it's really interesting. But yeah, uh, uh, Free Fire, I was going to say something else. Colossal is really good, and it's kind of like a indie film meets a kaiju film. Yeah. Like a monster film. It's and, really funny. you know, you, you could tell when the budget went into it and when it didn't, which mm-hmm. it's not a big problem. Like, I understood. It's like, oh, they're not showing the monster now because they probably don't have the money for it, but that's okay. Well, it's quirky. It's quirky. It's, it, you know, the way they do it, there's a lot of sound effects. There's a lot of, like, connection. And it's it's very good. It's well filmed, well mm-hmm. shot. Um, very funny at, at some points, too. Um you know, I'd say go see Colossal while it's in theaters. It's mm-hmm. uh, I think it's only playing in, like, indie theaters. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the wide release aspect of it. But, I mean, if you don't get a chance to see it when it's in theaters, definitely catch the digital release or the Blu-ray release. Uh, so my really like is a book that I'm not completely finished reading yet, but it's going to be a movie soon. So I started reading Crazy Rich Asians, which is going to be a film starring Constance Wu, um, and uh, Michelle Yeoh is also going to be in it as the formidable mother-in-law um, who is of the crazy rich Asian <laughs> family. Um, it's a hilarious book. I did not realize just how funny and kind of over-the-top and wacky it is, but it's just like this really funny um, story that isn't often told about this really crazy rich wealthy family in um, in Singapore um, that's like comes from old wealth and they have a one young son uh, who uh, goes to study in England and then ends up living in New York and dates this Chinese American girl and uh, she doesn't know anything about his wealth and his uh, ultimate he's going to be an heir to like this rich empire and he brings her back home one day and she's just flabbergasted by this insane amount of wealth and like the lifestyle, like the jet-setting lifestyle that they live, um, you know, vacationing in Paris, Hong Kong, all over the world and she is aghast and also in danger of being uh, shut out by his rich family and many other suitors or suitresses who are have their eye on him, so it's it's really it's a really funny kind of silly just like clash of cultures and clash of classes book. It has like a lot of shades of uh, like Edwardian class um, that. novels, I, and has that, and also has like really funny sort of in jokes about like Asian families and like their really um, strict and stringent ways of raising kids, and it kind of reminded me both of like my own family as well as like those great British, you know, class clash of class novels that I really loved as a kid. So I I like it so far. It's kind of silly. It's like it's like a beach read, but I'm excited for the movie whenever it comes out because it's gonna be I think the, our first Asian American rom com on the big screen that we've ever seen. And it's going to have an all-Asian cast. Constance Wu is going to be in it. She's playing the main girl, the Chinese-American girl, who gets thrust into this jet-setting lifestyle suddenly and has to deal with all the consequences of that. So I'm excited. I'm really, I can't wait to see the film whenever it comes out. I think it'll be another at least two years until we see it. But Have they filmed it yet? No, they, they're still in casting, but they're casting a lot of great people. Yeah. So I'm excited. Yeah. She's awesome. great. Fresh off the boat. Yeah, she's she is. Great, fresh off the boat. They cast um, that actress in... That robot show is it humans? It's that's a robot show, yeah. Yeah, 
yeah, the one with the, the one Asian actress who's in that robot show, and they also cast the um, the Japanese actress from Ex Machina. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. A lot of robot people. A lot of robot people. Well, that's kind of what Asians are playing nowadays, apparently. Oh boy. <laughs> um, at least this is something new. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, if anyone out there has any thoughts on classic Hollywood or Colossal, or Crazy Rich Asians, or Science, and Bill Nye, definitely come hit us up. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook. If you search for us there, we're on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate and review us there. And we're also on SoundCloud. And uh, where can they find you guys? You can find me at Anya Crittenton. You can find me at H. Chan on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.